Adventure Revisited, the podcast. My name is Stefan Van Norden. On this episode, entitled Saving Our Prairies, we are featuring the Missouri Prairie Foundation. I am joined by Carol Davitt and Bruce Schutte to talk about the important work the Missouri Prairie Foundation is doing. Nature Revisited is also pleased to have Mbuto Magazine, an online magazine focusing on global conservation as our sponsor and episode participant. Thank you. Hi there. I'm shortly here to tell you about Ubuntu Magazine, the magazine for stories about wildlife and nature conservation. Ubuntu Magazine is the place where you can find stories from the front line of conservation available everywhere and for free. You can expect easily readable articles with personal and compelling stories directly from the field. Feel free to check it out right now. Download our latest magazine at ubuntumagazine.com. Ubuntu is spelled with U-B-U-N-T-U. And make sure to check out our social media as well, because you will find some very interesting details, facts, and stories there as well. We're looking forward to see you, and have fun reading it! On this episode, we are going to be talking about saving our prairies. And today, I am joined with Carol Davitt, the Executive Director at the Missouri Prairie Foundation, and Bruce Schutte, the Vice President of Science and Management at the Prairie Foundation. Thank you so much for your interest in our work. It's, it's really gratifying. It just means a lot, Ben. And you're really helping us get the word out. So, so thank you very much. Well, I appreciate that. If one has been following me on my podcast, one would see that I have this connection to the prairie. I live in New England. I live in trees. Through my podcast and through different people I've talked with, I have come to, to see the prairie as something that I'm beginning to think after talking with people like you that that prairie really is. And it's a shame that there's only there's so little of it left. Just how important it is. So, Carol, let's start with you. When did you first become connected to the prairie? And what led you to your present position at the foundation? And how long have you been there? Well, I, it really started in my childhood. I was really a lucky kid because my parents worked at a nature reserve outside of St. Louis called Shaw Nature Reserve. And my family and a few other families lived in old farmhouses on the property. And every morning after I woke up, I looked out the window and everything I could see to the horizon was the nature reserve. And every morning I remarked on that and appreciated that. I knew my childhood was unusual, and I, I knew that I was really fortunate. So this experience shaped my career in that I felt like others should have the same opportunity to experience nature as I did. And as part of their work, my parents were involved in establishing a prairie planting from a former old field pasture that had been converted in the past, probably from open woodland. And growing up, this planting was not very interesting to me. But then when I was a teenager, a famous photographer named Ernst Haas came and he photographed the prairie planting. His photos really helped me see the prairie planting in a new way. And then as a teenager, I went on to help my parents 
plant small plants called plugs into the planting. I help collect seeds. I tagged along with them to see the prairie plants growing up in the greenhouse. My parents led hikes to the prairie planting. They organized these picnic suppers so people could see the prairie at sunset. They pointed out the textures of prairie plants, the fragrances of them. They were really innovative in helping people develop an appreciation for this kind of landscape. And so by the time I left for college, I cultivated an appreciation of it. But of course, there was a tremendous amount I didn't know and I would learn as I got older. Fast forward to the present and to my career as the Executive Director of the Prairie Foundation where I've worked in various capacities since 1997. And I've you know, just continued to learn more every day. So Bruce, let me ask you the same question. When did you first become connected to Prairie? And what led you to your present position at the foundation? Well, I um, grew up in North St. Louis County. I remember occasionally wondering what this area was like before it was settled by European Americans. There wasn't really an answer out there. So I just kind of figured it was probably forested. And that prairie was something, you know, you hear about way out west. Then I went to school in wildlife and natural resource management. I got really interested in all of our native ecosystems, started hearing more about prairie. University of Missouri professor published a map going back and looking at old government land office survey notes, determined where in Missouri was originally tall grass prairie as the settlers first moved in. And I discovered that most most of St. Louis and much of St. Louis County, in fact, the area I grew up in, was actually prairie originally. So it was kind of enlightening to hear that I, where I grew up was actually part of this huge ecosystem that at one time covered about a third of Missouri and yet is just almost gone. There is so little of it left, but that's the place where, where I grew up. Through my career, I was a naturalist at a state park, was involved in managing some little prairie areas, and they were pretty degraded. But um, it was really fascinating to see these plants that were at once part of this grand landscape that are now just hanging on on these little scraps of ground here and there. I had been a longtime member of the Missouri Prairie Foundation. In 2000, I was asked if I was interested in being on the board. For a few years, I was the board secretary. And then starting in about 2013, I became the vice president for science and management. When did people realize that our prairies were disappearing and that that disappearance wasn't necessarily a good thing? The Prairie Foundation was founded in 1966 by a small group of biologists and concerned citizens who were recognizing the disappearance uh, of prairie in Missouri. And, and to go back in time a little bit, in terms of prairies disappearing in the Midwest, we go back to 1837, and that's when John Deere developed a polished steel plow which was really a game changer in terms of how quickly prairie sod could be turned and converted to row crop agriculture. So I'm sure anyone living closely with the land over the past 200 years or so was witnessing this conversion. Some other notable individuals uh, who helped bring the disappearance of prairie to a larger audience 
or Aldo Leopold. He's often considered the father of American conservation, and he wrote about prairie loss in his book, A Sand County Almanac, that was published in 1949. And in that book, he wrote about a land ethic or responsible relationship between people and the land, including prairie. Two other people who were really influential were in Missouri were Charles and Elizabeth Schwartz. They were wildlife artists, filmmakers, and biologists, and they started working for the Missouri Department of Conservation. And they started working in 1940, and the Department of Conservation published their book, The Prairie Chicken in Missouri, in 1944. The Schwartzes were well aware of the changes happening to the prairie landscape. So all of these early efforts certainly increased general awareness of the loss of prairie, but in terms of you know, really widespread public understanding of prairie losses, I think we're all still working on that. And I think part of that is because prairie can be seen as an understated landscape, especially if you're just driving by. And for people who don't have the opportunity for firsthand exploration of prairie, rural Missouri can look just like a lot of green. But people who simply love prairie and live near it, they've been concerned for decades. After World War II, farm sizes really grew, and they continued to grow, and more and more prairie was converted. And then in the 1960s, conservation groups really began to be concerned. Missouri Prairie Foundation was one of them, and it was formed in, in 1966, became an incorporated nonprofit organization in 68. The Prairie Foundation's first prairie acquisition was a year later in 1969. It was a 40-acre prairie called Friendly Prairie. And, in fact, Bruce and I just happened to tour it earlier this week. It remains an incredibly diverse prairie. Among the things that we saw were sand milkweed, a tiny nest of a ground-nesting bird, maybe a grasshopper sparrow with tiny newly hatched chicks in it. So that's a a very brief history of, of the Prairie Foundation and growing awareness of the disappearance of prairie in our state. Just kind of to add to it again, when this map of the original prairie of Missouri was first published, I think that really opened people's eyes to how much prairie there was and where it was. And you could really pinpoint on this map of Missouri that this area used to all be prairie. And then as people would go out there and see now that the prairie is gone, we're able to kind of document how little of all that original prairie was left. So what is the mission of the Missouri Prairie Foundation? And and how are some of the ways you are trying to accomplish that? Well, our mission is to protect and restore prairie and other native grassland communities, and those other native grassland communities include glades, open woodlands, savannas, and we do that through a number of ways. One, we acquire land. We acquire land by purchasing it when we have the funds to do so. Sometimes people donate land to us as well, which is very generous. We also carry out our mission of protecting prairie by managing it very intensively. We conduct prescribed burns on our prairies. We are very vigilant for scouting for any invasive plants and controlling those. We also do species surveys on our properties. We carry out our mission through education. We publish the Missouri Prairie Journal and have since 1979. It's a magazine that's devoted to prairie ecology and prairie protection topics. We have educational series, lots of resources on our website, prairie hikes, uh, workshops, speakers. 
Uh, we also carry out our mission through research. Uh, I mentioned we conduct uh, species surveys on our properties. We also help fund prairie research by others. We also, as part of our work, we promote the use of native plants through our Grow Native program, and we also support the control of invasive plants by administering the Missouri Invasive Plant Council. Our mission is in support of our long-term vision, which is that we want original prairie, that's left, we want it protected forever. And we want to see an abundance of prairie plantings and other native plants and widespread use and develop landscapes. And we want systematic control of invasive plants in our state. And we want all of these things, we want this vision for the benefit of people today and for future generations. I think a lot of people aren't quite sure what prairie is. So Bruce, can you describe to us what prairie is and how very different it is from other habitats and why it is so important that we save as much of it as we can? Well, that's a great question because oftentimes people hear that prairie is a grassland. And so they oftentimes kind of think that any open grassy area is a prairie. Or you say a tall grass prairie and they think, well, that's like somebody didn't mow for a year and the grass got a little taller. So a lot of times there's these kind of misconceptions about what a prairie is. But actually, a prairie is a stable and complex native grassland community. It's a natural community. It's dominated by native perennial grasses, of which a few can reach very tall heights of like six, seven, eight feet. There's hundreds of broadleaf plants or wildflowers, sedges, and scattered shrubs, but very few, if any, trees. And it's got ancient soils. We now are learning more about the soil connection and how important these ancient soils are to the plant growth and that they evolved with fire. Fire mostly from Native American burning. And so as the climate change coming out of the last ice age, you had with Native Americans in the picture, you had the stable communities that would frequently burn off that helped keep the trees out and it established this very stable native grassland community. And so that's really kind of what a prairie is. How is it different from other habitats? In Missouri, it's largely treeless. And so that's kind of the main distinction. Our other major ecosystems like woodlands and forests are more heavily treed. There is also natural community sort of in between called a savanna, which is largely a prairie ground cover, but where you do have a little bit greater number of trees. The prairies are the open end of this kind of continuum across the landscape. They're uh, so important because it is this ecosystem that has been here for thousands of years. It's this unique assemblage of plants and animals in this, in this ecosystem along with the soils that maintain them. People are just now, scientists are just now starting to kind of unlock what's in that soil and it's amazing. Soil scientists 
kind of estimate that a diverse prairie soil is got more microbes, it's more diverse microbial life or microorganisms than any other terrestrial ecosystem on Earth. The most diverse is the prairie soils, and yet we still don't know all that much about them. As I kind of mentioned, prairies are now sort of considered to be old growth communities. And when people think of old growth, they normally think of like big trees. But ecologists now are recognizing that prairies are really the stable, complex, old growth ecosystem, but the old growth part is under the ground. We also have a number of species that are adapted to prairies that you don't find anyplace else. For example, the last couple of days, we also visited another one of our newest prairie acquisitions. We found a number of Oklahoma or prairie grass pink orchids. It's got a beautiful, very intricate little flower to it. It's basically only found in the tall grass prairie region. So you have a number of things like that that are adapted to these systems, which would be lost if we lost the prairies. Why is it so hard to replicate the prairie? For example, I, I read somewhere where some of the prairie reconstruction sites where people have tried to make it as close to prairie as possible, that there are insects that still won't go there because they somehow know that that soil is not the same. It is basically impossible to replicate it. When we lose our original remnant unplowed prairies, they're irreplaceable. Now we can reconstruct areas to something that can be, uh, especially above ground, a pretty good facsimile of a prairie. So we can do reconstructions, and because so little of the original prairie remnants are left, it's very important to reconstruct a native grassland in many of these places. And they can have some of the other benefits of water quality and carbon sequestration. But at this time, there simply is no way to replicate all the intricacies of an original remnant prairie. We can work on bringing something somewhat similar with some of the same values back to much of the land that used to be prairie, but the prairie itself, a remnant prairie, is irreplaceable. There's just no way to reconstruct it totally and completely. So let's talk a little bit more about burns. Uh, you know, why are they so important and why are they not happening naturally? Fire is a very important aspect to prairies. And actually, there's sort of three main prairie zones in the mid part of North America. The Great Plains are prairie. But when you start from the western part, like in, say, eastern Colorado, coming east from the Rocky Mountains, there's a rain shadow, and so you get less precipitation, and there's short grass prairie there. These taller prairie grasses and that, they don't grow because it's too dry, and many of the wildflowers don't grow because it's too dry. Then as we continue to move east, we move into Kansas and Nebraska and the Dakotas, and that's called a midgrass prairie. And fires aren't actually quite as important in those prairie systems because trees largely don't invade them because it is a much drier climate. But as we move into like eastern 
Kansas and Nebraska, and then through Missouri, Iowa, Minnesota, uh, Illinois, and, and continue to move east, there's more rainfall, and there's enough rainfall here that will support trees. So if there are no fires, trees will eventually grow up and shade out prairie plants, totally alter the soils, just totally change the ecosystem. But for thousands of years, Native Americans would use fire. They would burn off the landscapes. It was uh, useful to them in many ways, and it created this tall grass prairie ecosystem, which had been here and seemingly been very stable for thousands of years with their fires as part of the system. So as European Americans moved into the Midwest and out into main prairie regions, basically the source of the fires ended so as far as managing prairies, and virtually everybody that manages prairies, from individual landowners to state and federal government agencies to nonprofit organizations, conservation organizations, know that you have to do prescribed burns to keep the trees out, or sometimes you can kind of substitute that by haying. So today when we talk about prescribed burns, what we're talking about is to use a, a carefully planned use of fire to emulate these natural, in some cases, historically human-caused fires for management of that ecosystem. The object is always to plan them out very carefully. You have to have manpower to try and make sure that the prescribed burn stays very carefully controlled. A big aspect of the right conditions is the weather because to keep these prescribed burns under control, you need it dry enough, but yet you don't want it too windy or too dry, so you can keep it under control and keep it just within the, the designated area that you want to burn off. And so that's what the prescribed burns are now. So Carol, let's shift the, the focus a little bit. You have talked a lot over the years about the emotional aspects of the prairie. Can you describe to us the spirit of prairie? Well, I'll try. I think spirit means different things to different people. There are a lot of Missourians and, and Americans overall who may not be very familiar with prairie. For those who are familiar, it can be profoundly moving, and I guess you could say they have a spiritual connection to it. Speaking first and foremost about indigenous people who lived here for thousands of years before they were forcibly removed, prairie and other habitats in Missouri and other parts of the Midwest were their homeland. And as Bruce mentioned, their fire practices perpetuated and expanded prairie habitat. None of us can imagine what it must have been like for them to have been forced to leave. For the Osage Nation, which is one group of Native Americans who lived on and with prairie in Missouri, their, their nation is headquartered in Oklahoma, and prairie continues to be a sacred and critically important landscape culturally in other ways. For people with a European background, I think prairie represents in some ways their pioneering spirit. But when they came upon this really vast, mostly open landscape, it was really bountiful, you know, in terms of game and, you know, uh, resources to use, but also really challenging just as 
as it must have been challenging but also bountiful for Native Americans who once lived here. For many early Euro-American settlers, prairie could be you know, quite daunting, something to get through or something to be converted, to be plowed, to be tamed. I think some early white settlers probably found it incredibly beautiful, exhilarating, but also pretty, pretty challenging at times. Walking in a forest is, is wonderful. It's different than walking in a prairie. When you are walking in a prairie, it's two major kind of aesthetic senses at once. So you're in this wide open landscape. It's a place to see the whole sky. But then when you look down, you can see all this infinite detail with hundreds of plant species that can occur even in a 40-acre original prairie. All the insects, the songs and calls of insects and grassland birds. So this contrast between open sky and then all this detail is really quite uh, bracing and, and wonderful. And I think that does something to you spiritually. One of our board members, his name is Vernon Ellsbury, he wrote something really profound about one of our prairies recently. But when he was standing in the middle of this prairie, he truly believed he could hear the earth breathe. And that kind of mirrors the feeling that the landscape can give you. So it's pretty powerful. You know, so with prairie, you have this extremely rare, very beautiful, very diverse landscape that also provides vital services that help make life on earth possible for people. And despite the odds, some of this prairie has managed to exist. So I think it's it's hard to not find this landscape compelling. And for those who who do, I think there is a kind of a spiritual connection. So what are some of the programs that the foundation is doing to help bring awareness, not only to the prairie, but to our global environmental crisis, such as Grow Native and the Missouri Invasive Plant Council? Can you talk about these and other programs that the foundation is doing? The core of our mission, the core work that we do is about saving prairie. But you're right, it's about something larger also. The work that we carry out is really laser-focused on protecting prairie, and that's for good reason because it is so rare and at the same time so packed with species diversity, and we want to, we want to protect it for the benefit of, of present and future generations. But we also promote the use of native plants from prairies and other habitats in disturbed landscapes, not because we can recreate original prairie. No one can do that. But because landscapes planted with native plants from, from prairies and other native habitats have so many benefits to wildlife, pollinators, and people. For example, we have a grant right now from Iowa State University to promote the establishment of something called prairie strips within or around row crops to protect soil and water quality. By harnessing the power of prairie, you could say, you can create these strips of prairie plantings in and around row crops to hold soil in place and slow stormwater down, help protect nearby streams. And then through our Grow Native program, which is a, a native plant marketing and education program, we have the goal of increasing the supply of and the demand for native plants on farms, in yards, and parks, and gardens, and corporate landscaping. Any place that's being landscaped can be landscaped with native plants, and, and the benefits of using native plants are really staggering. Everything from having cleaner air to increased populations of native bees and butterflies. Another benefit is stormwater management in cities and neighborhoods. 
The Grow Native program is 22 years old, and we have hundreds of free resources at GrowNative.org to help people learn about how to use native plants in developed areas. We have 168 professional members of the Grow Native program now, and they are native plant nurseries and seed producers, landscape designers or architects, even communities that are members that support our work. We're really lucky in the Midwest, especially here you know, in the lower Midwest, there's a long tradition of native landscaping, and that's due to some pioneering native plant nurseries, not just in Missouri, but in Wisconsin, other areas. And then in terms of invasive plants, many other states have had invasive plant councils that have worked, you know, across industries and kind of in a cross-disciplinary way, you know, with representatives from different groups all working together to elevate the need for early detection and control of invasive plants. But up until 2015, um, when we founded the Missouri Invasive Plant Council, Missouri didn't have a group like that. It was one of our Grow Native committee members who spearheaded the idea. Our council has members from many different disciplines, forestry, academia, ecological restoration, land managers. So we all worked together to advance invasive plant action. And one of our top goals was to create a comprehensive list of known invasive plants in the state because there really wasn't a comprehensive updated list. You know, in addition to our land trust work to protect prairies, in addition to the Grow Native program, the Invasive Plant Council, we really provide a lot of different programs on different aspects of prairie ecology and native plant-related topics. We also work with many different partners like the Missouri Humanities Council and historical societies to introduce new audiences to the importance of prairie protection. So, yeah, we are really multifaceted organization working on a lot of different fronts. So not just across Missouri, but across the whole country, how much of the prairie is really left? And do you feel that we can save it? Nationwide, the area that was considered to be the tall grass prairie biome, it's estimated that there were originally something like 170 million acres. It is now estimated that there's only, that there is less than 4% of that remaining less than 4% of the 170 million acres remaining of tall grass prairie. So there was a lot. Now there's very little. At one time, Missouri had roughly 15 million acres of tall grass prairie. Now it's less than 50,000 acres. Now those other prairie ecosystems, the midgrass prairie and the shortgrass prairie farther to the west, there's still a higher percentage of those left, but those are quite a bit different system than our tallgrass prairie, which is, like I say, down to less than 4% altogether, and in most areas, it's well less than 1%. I live in New England, and I don't see the prairie on a daily basis. But like our planet, I've come to realize that the prairie is at a crucial point. And I often think that the majority of us still don't truly understand the urgency of protecting our prairies. Do you think this is true? And what would you like to say to those of us who are still not sure? When people are asked about their ideal day, most people will reply that their ideal day is spent outdoors or and spent with people they care about. 
And prairies are an essential part of our natural world. And I would invite them to think about what they really need to survive and enjoy life. Most people who are asked that question will probably say food, clean water, clean air, shelter. And none of us can have any of those things without protecting natural resources. We won't have these things in the future if we don't mitigate the effects of climate change. So protecting prairie is critically important for all of the things that we need to survive. Prairies are protecting pollinating insects, and many of those are pollinating our food crops, a critically important part of our food security and our health. Prairies protect streams by filtering rainwater with their extensive root systems. They store carbon underground in a very stable way. But most people respond to beauty. I've never met anyone who hasn't moved by a photo of a regal fritillary butterfly, which is a prairie-dependent insect, a photo of a prairie full of cornflowers in bloom, seeing a grass-pink orchid like Bruce talked about, or seeing a nest of, of grassland bird eggs. People are moved by that. And so I, for people who are unsure that, you know, maybe some of those technical aspects don't resonate with them, I wouldn't say anything. I would just show them images like the ones I've described. So my last question to both of you, what is the best way someone who doesn't live there can help to preserve these prairies? You know, just learning about these areas is really the first step to gain an appreciation of how important they are, no matter where, no matter where they might live. They're, they're important to our nation as a whole. So learning about them is really important. There will be local conservation groups, wherever listeners of this podcast live, that they can research and find out about native grassland types that might be near where they live. They can also come to the Missouri Prairie Foundation website, moprairie.org, and we've got lots and lots of information there about Missouri prairies, and a lot of that information is applicable to other native grassland types as well. In the case of the Missouri Prairie Foundation, we are a very lean organization. We don't even have a central office staff work out of their homes, so our overhead is really low. We really funnel the bulk of our funding into on-the-ground conservation and native plant education. Yeah, I just like to agree that the most important thing people can do is support conservation organizations at all different levels, at national, state, and local levels, but also volunteer can be very important for, for many different organizations. When prairie is lost and native biodiversity overall is lost, everyone loses, including people. So if we look first at prairie, this is a landscape that's incredibly rich in biodiversity but has been nearly obliterated from North America. Its rarity makes it all the more precious. There are plants and animals like the grass pink orchids that we've mentioned, crayfish frogs, regal fritillary butterflies. These are all in Missouri dependent on original unplowed prairie, and they may disappear from the planet if we do not save what original prairie is left. So humanity will be robbed of plants and animals like this that depend exclusively on prairie if we don't do our utmost to save it. Plants and animals from prairies and from other habitats, they don't have to be worth something to be valuable. They deserve to exist on their own merits. So prairie is a multi-dimensional landscape that provides vitally important resources and services to people. So nobody wins if we don't protect original prairie and other original habitats.
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Nature Revisited. And if you would like to learn more about the Missouri Prairie Foundation, please visit their website, moprairie.com. Nature Revisited would like to thank Mbuto Magazine for being our sponsor and episode participant. I hope you will share our podcast with friends, family, and colleagues. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, or on our website, nordenproductions.com. The music is Whiter Shade of Pale by Pokal Harem. Nature Revisited is produced by Stefan Van Orden and Charles Gagan. And I hope you will join us for the next edition of Nature Revisited. And in the meantime, remember, we are nature. Nature.